the enemy understands. If he can destroy the child, if he can destroy that childlike faith, he don't have to worry about the adult Christian or the adult Christ or the mature person in Christ. Many are opposing the king. Even today in this world, they do it through pride. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay in myself. Or through prejudice. Oh, look at them. They're too good. Those goody two shoes over there. But one day, we will understand the one that we should have sought because we'll have understanding of who was the one we were seeking. Every throne, every knee, every nation today obstructs and opposes and even resists. But I'm here to tell you, as sure as I'm standing in this pulpit, the king is coming. I said, the king is coming. Folks, you're not getting it. I said, the king is coming. And one day soon, that eastern sky is going to split open. And he's going to say, come on, kids. It's time to go home. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. It was the dream of every Israelite, the longing of every devout heart, to actually see the Messiah, the promised deliverer. For hundreds of years they'd been in bondage, most recently to Rome. Yet they knew the scriptures. And they knew the time would come. The time of deliverance from bondage. They knew God would rise up to deliver them. Someone to lead them into glorious freedom. And freedom, as they understood it, was political freedom. National freedom. And a new kind of king to lead them into world prominence. So they weren't really prepared for the kind of deliverer God sent. Even Mary and Joseph were caught off guard. Let's see. I think it's over here. Are you sure? This doesn't look familiar. Mary, I've been to Jerusalem more times than I can count. I know where I'm going. Couldn't we just ask somebody? Mary, we're almost there. This looks familiar. It's just up around here. Look, that sign over the door. I don't see it. Right there, dedication of babies. Come on, let's get up there before there's a line. Next. We have a baby to dedicate to the Lord. Male or female? He's a boy. Are you the father? Uh, no. I mean, I am now, but she had the baby while we were, after, after we got engaged. Do you know the father? Yes, we do. He's 
unavailable right now. I'm kind of standing in his stead. Name? Joseph, son of Jacob of Bethlehem. No, the child's name. His name is Yeshua. Firstborn? Yes. Is this the 40th day? Yes, it is. You'll need two doves or pigeons for your wife's purification. Then there's a dedication fee since he's firstborn. Yes, we know. Where do we go? Right around the corner, down the stairs, and you'll see. I've been expecting you. Excuse me, sir. We need to dedicate... Dedicate the child, I know. Excuse me, we must really be moving. But I've been expecting you. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, Mary, do you know this guy? No, I've never seen him before. He makes me kind of nervous. Maybe we should just... No, look at him. He knows something. I'm sorry, priest, but I don't recognize you. But I recognize him. Who? The child? How did you know he's a boy? Oh, I know much more than that. May I hold him? Well, we're running late. I think maybe... Joseph, I think it'll be all right. Here, priest. Now, Lord, you have kept your promise. You may take your servant in peace. With my own eyes, I have seen the salvation that you have prepared in the presence of many peoples, a light to reveal your will to the Gentiles and bring glory to your children, Israel. He knows, doesn't he? Yes, he does. I'm beginning to think that everybody does. What is your name, priest? I'm called Simeon. The Holy Spirit told me that I would see the promised Messiah before I died. But you must listen to me. Although he is the salvation for many in Israel, he will be a sign from God and be spoken against by many. He'll reveal their secret thoughts and sorrow like a sharp sword will hurt your own heart. I must go now. May his blessing be upon you. What was that all about? I don't know, but he's a man of God, you can tell. What was that about sorrow and a sword? I don't know, Joseph. I think it may be the first of many surprises. We really don't know what we have here, do we? No, not exactly. Something marvelous, yet so sad, too. Did you see the sorrow? Or did you hear the sorrow in his voice? Yes. May the Lord help us. Unprepared. Unaware. Not ready for the kind of Savior God was providing. Ready for an answer man. A problem solver. A miracle worker. Someone to make life easier. To bring freedom of choice and the glorious kingdom of God on earth. But unprepared for the kind of Messiah who actually came. Whose kingdom was and is not of this world. Who came to suffer and die. What kind of Savior? Are you waiting on? And from what do you want to be saved? The Savior didn't come to save you from this present life, to exempt you from hardship and pain. He didn't even exempt himself. He won't necessarily save you from everything unpleasant. But he can save you from something more important. Your sin. And who else can do that? If you have your Bibles, John 16, 
You know, I, I followed through this entire presentation that we've had over the last few weeks. Simply, we called them the Christmas readings because they told a story. But the thing that intrigued me the most about it is, as this was presented to me, is the way the story was told. Because I think it was told from the perspective of every life that's in this room. Lives that don't fully understand how this whole thing worked. You see, we've journeyed through the birth of Jesus from the perspective mostly of Joseph, who not only did he not fully understand, he didn't fully accept that God's only son was coming in the world this way. As the story unfolded, they were expecting a conquering king, not a suffering servant. Last week we talked about the mysteries of man and the majesty of God. And how to have one, we have to let go of the other. To see the majesties of God, we have to let go of the mysteries and say, God, this is your deal. Today's message I just simply titled, Understanding Who We Seek, to Seek with Understanding. Say, Pastor, these words are so parabolic, they're, they're almost you know, in the depths of, of mystery. Yet, but if we understand the simplicity of the term, until we understand who it is we seek, we will never be able to seek with any kind of understanding. You see, we have to understand this truth. Jesus did not come to solve earthly problems, but rather to resolve the heavenly problem between man and God. You see, Jesus did not come to solve the physical issues of the earth. This is the perplexity. God, if you're so good, why do we go through so bad? Does it sound like anybody in this room? He came to deal with the spiritual issues of eternity, not the physical issues of earth. And he did all of this by overcoming the unseen forces of darkness. When Jesus at Calvary declared three of the last words that he would ever declare with a voice of victory, a voice of domination, a voice of authority, a voice of certainty, he cried out in the Hebrew, Tatelase! which in the English said, it is finished. Who was he talking to? To the unseen forces of darkness. I've done what no one else can do. And now I'm going to undo everything you have done. Can somebody say amen? Because he dealt with the unseen forces of darkness, he gives you and I the peace to face the seen darkness of this world. Understanding who we seek. A suffering servant, yes. But when it was done, 
He was a conquering king. I want to take you just for a few moments this morning into a perspective that I kind of envisioned in this story. I tried to put sermons together around these readings. My wife came to me on Tuesday and said, Honey, is the sermon ready for printing? I said, No, honey, it hasn't even started yet. I had to get my head around these messages. And so between Tuesday and Wednesday, it was done. As I began to look at this, what was Joseph's issue? He couldn't get his head around it. What was Mary's issue? Her heart was longing, but her understanding wasn't fruitful. Simeon shows up and says, even though I'm blind, I've seen all of this for a long time. Think about it. Understanding reality today is part of accepting eternity. We have to come to the place to and understand that I am not a temporal being. I am an eternal creation. Now, amen was easy, but I want you to grab that thought for a second. You are not a temporal being. Yes, we are housed in mud and clay. Yes, we are housed in a moment, in a momentary vessel that like the dust of the wind is going to blow away one day. Like a flower, it's going to fade one day. But you and I are created an eternal vessel. This spirit, the real you, the real me, will live for eternity. Jesus spent three and a half years walking, living, abiding, with his disciples. And in John 16, we find the end times of his departure before he is taken up, before he is crucified, before they all scatter to their own ways. He is talking to them about final things. He is talking to them and making it very clear of who he is and what he came to do and why he came to do it and what the purpose was for it to happen. And look what Jesus says in 31. He says, Jesus asks, do you finally believe? If you read the verses before that, they're saying, now we understand, now we fully grab a hold of it. But listen to what Jesus says. You don't really understand who you seek because even now you don't seek with understanding. Do you finally believe? But I tell you what's going to happen because you don't seek with understanding. You will indeed depart from me and go your own way and leave me all alone. But he said, I won't be alone because my father is with me. I've told you these things. Please underline these words for me in your notes. Look at, look at the title of the message. Understanding who we seek will cause us to be able to seek with understanding. He said, I told you all of this stuff because in me is the only place you're going to have peace. Would you underline that? And then I want you to circle this next phrase. In this world, you're going to have many problems. Now, that's not popular preaching, church. But isn't it great 
that Jesus told us what life would be before we ever faced it? Isn't it? How many here have had any problems? Besides me and Dave, I mean, we're, we're cool. Or me and Dan. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, hey, that's natural. Matter of fact, he brought a word of encouragement. He said, you're going to have a bunch of them. The reason we can't seek with understanding is because we really don't understand who we seek. We're thinking he's going to come and just sweep it all away. He's going to make all bad good. He said, no. I'm going to give you peace. That's going to pass all understanding. But that peace is going to be in me. In this world, you're going to have issues. But take heart. And this I want you to underline. I want you to score. I want you to highlight. I want you to put bullet points around it. I want you to put exclamation points. I want you to take it out and put it on the mirror of your bedroom when you're getting ready in the morning the 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 face of your refrigerator as you're going out to face the day on the mirror of your car as you're driving down the road in the desk that you sit at put it across there he said but be of heart because i have overcome this world understand the one you seek then you can have understanding Am I making any sense today? I hope so because I just started. You see, what we know, or what we need to know, is the whole world will at times, but in reality, more times than not, be against us. Let me take you to the birth of Christ. And I'm going to take you from the birth through the lineage of, of some of the greatest travesties against his life and against his disciples. Here is the picture of the birth of Christ. The opposing king was a man by the name of Herod the Great. The Bible is full of lots of Herods. They're all related. Okay, They're all the lineage of the Herods, and they all were in opposition to the kingdom. But I want to show you through this next little few minutes how God took the opposition, the opponent of the kingdom and twisted him around to become a proponent for the kingdom. Because, you know, God said, I overcome this world. Can somebody say amen? The birth of Christ, Herod is the opposing king, and he is not willing to give up his throne at any cost. What was the price? The Bible tells us that Herod had nine, ten wives, got rid of all of them, killed them all. He even killed his favorite wife. Had two of his, killed, his children killed. Why? Because they, they, he simply doubted that they were loyal to him. He accused them of treason. Now the wise men show up and say, by the way, king, there's a new king in town. How many think that made Herod's blood boil? He said, I just got rid of my wife. I got rid of my kids. There's another king showing up. 
Tell me who he is. Look what it says here in Matthew 2. Where is this one called the king of the Jews? The wise men are asking, who would you ask? Another king. That we could come and worship him. The wise men going to Herod, I'm not sure was the wisest thing to do. Because they got Herod quite shook up that there was a new king to contend with. So Herod makes up a story that he wants to worship the new king as well. Look at the 8th verse of Matthew. He said, go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship. How many think Herod was being a little conniving right there? Though Herod said all these different things to the wise men, his intentions weren't to worship the king. He had no intention of giving up the throne and bowing a knee to King Jesus, at least then. We all know that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I want you to look at me just for a moment because I want to expound on something. You see, the enemy knows something about a Christian. If he can destroy your faith, if he can destroy your belief, I love Pastor Philemon getting up here to say, this guy accused of him of believing too much. It's amazing how so many try to t- build themselves up by tearing somebody else down. Believing so much. You know what the guy was really saying? I don't have an ounce of the faith you have. And I see what God has done in your life. And I want it, but I can't get it because I don't believe the way you believe. The enemy knows if he can destroy the child. The newborn Christ child. The newborn child of God. Those who have just given their lives to Christ. That is why it's so critical to have relationships with other people in the body of Christ. I've had people tell me for years, Pastor, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I agree with them. You don't have to go to church to get saved. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you don't go to church, you won't stay saved and you won't stay a Christian. That is bottom line fact. Well, bless God, I'll show you. Let me know how that works for you. The enemy understands. If he can destroy the child, if he can destroy that childlike faith, he don't have to worry about the adult Christian or the adult Christ or the mature person in Christ. Many are opposing the king. Even today in this world, they do it through pride. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay in myself. Or through prejudice. Oh, look at them. They're too good. Those goody two-shoes over there. But one day, we will understand the one that we should have sought because we'll have understanding of who was the one we were seeking. Every throne, every knee, every nation today obstructs and opposes and even resists But I'm here to tell you, as sure as I'm standing in this pulpit, the king is coming. I said, the king is coming.
Folks, you're not getting it. I said, the king is coming. And one day soon, that eastern sky is going to split open, and he's going to say, come on, kids, it's time to go home. I told you I'd tell you about the Herod lineage. We find in Matthew 2, Herod the Great was looking to kill King Jesus. In the book of Acts, we find Herod Antipas or Herod the Tetrarch. Some of these words mean strange things. Herod the Great owned four parcels of the kingdom, four large parcels. Each one of those parcels were called a tetrad of the quadrant. Remember the word tetrad from the four blood moons, a tetrad. A tetrarch just means that he was the controller of one portion of those four parcels. He was the one that killed John the Baptist, had him beheaded because he, Baptist was telling everybody he opposed Herod because Herod stole his wife's, his brother's son after he killed his brother. Then we have the next one, which is the grandson, King Agrippa. He is the one that set forth and started persecuting the disciples, started by killing James by the sword and going after all of the disciples, another Herod. But it's interesting how Herod could not kill the move of God, could not kill the Christian movement. And the irony of it all at the end was Herod Agrippa II was the very one that kept Paul safe all those years so he could give us what we call the New Testament. Herod the Great. Herod the Great had a son called Herod Agrippa II. And he kept Paul protected so he could pen two-thirds of the New Testament. Why do I tell you that? Because I want you to understand who you seek. And you'll have understanding. He won't do it our way. But he will make the devil bow to you and serve you. Even what he means for bad. God said, I'll turn it around for good. All I need you to do is believe. Mm. Pastor, that's good preaching. I'm glad I came today. Now you can go around and say, I understand the Herods. It's going to do you a whole lot of good, but that's okay. Second thing quickly that I want to look at is today's problem is the same as then. We ignore the way God chose to save the world. I'm going to read a large portion of Scripture. I'm only putting portions of it up on the platform, on the screen but I'm reading 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. I want you to underline this first statement because it's critical to your faith and my faith. Look what it says. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Now look at me. God didn't ask you or me how he should do it. He said, I chose the foolish things to confound the wise. He brought a little baby. The first first declaration to the world 
that he was the Messiah were the lowliest people on the earth, the shepherds. He took them from the lowliest to the grandest, the kings. We call them three wise men, but we really don't know there are three. We know there are three gifts. But most scholars believe there were possibly dozens, if not hundreds, that had traveled to see the Messiah. Foolish. I say this because there's Herods all over the world saying, you can't possibly believe that. There's wolves in sheep's clothing that says, well, you know, that's not exactly what it means. He said, it is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we that are being saved, it is the power of God. For the scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. So where does that leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. The world thought if the king was going to come, he's going to come like a king, not like a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world never would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those that believe. It is foolish to the Jews who always ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who always seek human wisdom. So we preach that Christ was crucified. The Jews are offended and the Greeks, the Gentiles say it's nonsense. You see, they didn't understand who they seek. Therefore, they couldn't seek with understanding. Am I making sense today? Our whole mindset has to go different. It's not a figuring this thing out. It's accepting Christ as he is, as he was, as he one day will be. Can you say amen this morning? But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strengths. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you, but instead God chose the world's what the world considers foolish in order to shame those things that the world considers wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those things that are powerful. And he chose those things despised, that uh, those things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world calls important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Look at your notes. But God has united you with Jesus Christ. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only in the Lord. Simeon came to Joseph and Mary and said, I know so much about him. 
I've known about him long before he was ever born. The Holy Spirit revealed to me that the Messiah was coming. And when you all came and you walked by, I love the, the, the video we use of, of Michael Cards, how Simeon, they just walked by and his head's poked up. He's here. He's here. Ladies and gentlemen, on Sunday morning, there's nothing I long for more than when God shows up at church. I don't want to ever go to church that God don't show up. But when God shows up, I tell you what, I am beside myself. I am excited. I'm in worship practice this morning. I can barely contain myself. Why? Because God's showing up. Simeon said, I've waited my whole life for the consolation of Israel. And here he is. A baby. He is going to be the blessing of many and the cursing of many. And then he told Mary and Joseph, it's not what you were seeking, is it? But you need to understand how God was going to do it. Today in this building, we have to come to grips that God did what God did. Because he's God. And no one can boast in his presence. Can I say amen this morning? Herod, like the priest, chose to ignore the king. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because Herod went to the priest for the answers. And they knew the answers. They really did. Look, look at Matthew 2, 4 through 6. Herod gathered together all the chief priests, the scribes of the people. He inquired of them when the Messiah was to be born. He knew the Messiah was coming. The priests knew the Messiah was coming. And they told him, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. They know it. For this is what was written by the prophet. They believed the words of prophecy. And then he goes to quote Micah chapter 5. Oh, you Bethlehem, land of Judea, by no means is, is the least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There's the part they were expecting a king. Not a baby. But they knew he was coming. They knew he was there. They quoted the scripture, they, the chapter, the verse, but they didn't obey it. They pointed to the Savior. He was only five miles away, but they themselves did not go to worship him. How many, we know the truth, we know the words, we know the church, we know the scripture, we know the Bible, yet we do not dedicate our lives. People, We'll turn to the church. Church people, when they go through difficult times and have no place else to turn. I was pastoring in the Bay Area during what has become the Bay, the Battle of the Bay Quake. Remember, they were having the World Series in 1989 when the greatest earthquake that hit the San Francisco Bay Area happened. Hundreds and hundreds of people died because the overpasses and the bridges collapsed 
I was pastoring there. The ground shook like I've never. You thought the little shaking we had here a few weeks ago in Flagstaff. I watched the, 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 the road by my house literally turn into a river. It was doing that. Three-foot swells, and I do not exaggerate. The road was swaying like this as this earthquake swept through. The epicenter was three miles from my house. I tell you what, we had a packed church for months. When people don't understand, they run to try to find understanding, and many times they will run right to you. Do you understand? Who you seek. Do we have that relationship with Christ? The sad truth is that many can cite chapter and verse. Many quote-unquote Christians can talk a pretty good talk, but it's not very long that you follow them to find out that they really don't walk a very good walk. Do you know why people come to church because they're really looking for the truth. But when they come and they see, they see the church living in defeat and not living in victory. They say, why? You have the truth. At least you say it's the truth. But they come and we have no mountain moving faith. We have no victorious Christian life. We have no hope. We have no healing. We have no unity. What is the difference between the church and the world? Could it be that we don't believe what we say we really believe? Why? Too many of us find ourselves hung up and the religion of it all, and not given to the relationship of it all. We hang out at church just to be with the priest, when instead we should be hanging with the Magi, studying the Scriptures, that we could understand who we really seek. Am I making any sense today? Let me begin to wrap this up. Understanding who we seek is the only way that we'll ever begin to seek with understanding. The wise men were seeking the king. But they knew through scripture the king was going to be a baby. He wasn't going to ride in on a horse with a sword. Look at me. In your life, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we need to stop thinking that he is going to be the king that's going to wipe everything away and realize he was the suffering servant that took everything away and gave you and I the victory to stand in the way, the truth, and the life which we find in Jesus Christ. I want to take you to a very familiar portion of Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 29. Most of us have the the verse memorized, but I'm going to take you to the rest of the verse. Jeremiah chapter 29. Go ahead. It's not on the screen. So I like to do this once in a while to make you open your Bibles. 
starting with verse 11. If you're there, say amen. Jeremiah 29, 11. Look what the scripture says. I'm sorry, I'm trying out contacts and I got to get my eyes focused here. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, man. How many know that verse? How many shout glory on that verse? But the problem is it's tied to verse 12 and 13. And I would venture to say most of us don't even understand that, that verse. It says, then, it said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Once you start to understand God's got plans, look at me, look at me, get your eyes out there real quick, look at me. God's got plans. Those plans are for me. You bet they're for you. But God says, you got to understand how it works. Then you got to start looking after me, seeking for me. Seek to understand the plans. And then look what he says here in the 13th verse. You will seek me and you will find me seek me with all your heart. Not your head. Your heart. I have plans for you. But you gotta start seeking to understand that you can understand what you're seeking. Some of you looking at like a bunch of frogs in a hailstorm. Just batting your eyes out. I think I get it. Oh, I'm so bubbled up inside with this message. I hope it's coming okay. Because understanding who we seek will cause us to seek with understanding. The most famous men in history understood. They showered the baby with gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's why we get the idea of three wise men. Gold was the gift you would bring to pay tribute to what? A king. A ruler. They knew who he was, though it didn't look like at the time. Am I making sense? When you come to church, do you pay homage to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Or do you just sing a song? You just go through the motions. Or do you really give homage to the one who is, who was, and who is to come? The one that set everything in place. The one that said, I am he that was, that is, that is to come. I'm the first and the last. And watch out, devil. I'm going to take the last that on you. Is that the one we come to church for? Do we bring in the offerings of our very best? See, they acknowledge the royalty. 
of Jesus. They knew he was king of kings. He was the ruler of the nations. He was the king of the universe. They acknowledged that he was to be worshipped. Then they brought frankincense. As you study through the scripture, the temple was filled with the aroma of frankincense and myrrh. They were beautiful aromas that would fill the temple. Frankincense was the dominant scent. It would fill the temple with the aromatic mist, which represented the praise and the prayer. And the Bible talks about that when the mist would go up, the Shekinah glory of God would fill the house. His train of glory would fill the temple. And we thought those were just words in a song. His Shekinah glory, the majesty of his glory would physically and purposefully manifest in the presence. Why? Because God said, I inhabit the praises of my people. The, the wise men brought him gold. They brought him frankincense, acknowledging that he is the one to be worshipped. The last gift they brought him was myrrh. Myrrh was part of the anointing oil. But it was also something that you would take to the funeral. Why? It is an embalming fluid. It is for the place, the purpose of preparing the body for burial. When Mary and the disciples came back, Mary, Mary, and Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary, uh, the mother of John, or excuse me, Mary, the mother of Lazarus, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to the tomb to anoint him because they couldn't do it before the crucifixion. They bought myrrh. It was an emblem acknowledging he was the one to be worshipped. You see the wise men, look at the picture. They come knowing he was the king. He is the king. He will always be the king. They came offering gifts knowing he was the high priest, the only one that could be holy and pure enough to stand before God, to take the sins of the world because God required that. But they also brought the embalming oil because they knew the way he was going to accomplish his kingdom was he was going to die for it. They understood it all. We don't get the picture. Say amen, Pastor. We don't get the picture. It's exactly how God planned. At Calvary, they tried to pervert it. When he was at the cross, he said, I thirst. And they gave him a sponge that was mixed, listen to this, with wine and myrrh. The sedative. They wanted him not to taste death for all mankind. They wanted him to be eluded from it. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to taste death for all mankind. Am I making any sense today? The greatest gift, as I wrap this up. Hey, Pastor, you said closing a while ago. That's right. You know what closing means to a preacher? Absolutely nothing. My second closing. But the greatest gift they brought, and this is the part of this message I want you to get. If you've got nothing else, 
as the wise men came and they left everything to seek him, to ultimately follow him. They saw the star, they left everything. Such amazing faith. Similar to the thief crucified next to Jesus. He saw Jesus dying a criminal's death. Yet he called out, Lord, save me. Amazing faith. The wise men saw the baby on the lap of a poor woman fell to their knees worshiping and confessing he was the Christ. What was the greatest gift? They gave themselves. You see, Jesus, the scripture says, was not born to become king of the Jews. He was king when he was born. King of kings. Lord of lords, Savior, Lamb of God. You see, the Magi offered themselves before they ever offered anything. They left everything and offered themselves. The shepherds, they left everything. They left their sheep on the hillside. Folks, we get the picture that they brought two or three little sheep into the, into the uh, manger with them. No, they had hundreds or thousands of sheep, whatever it was, on the hills. They left them all. And they gave themselves to him. The thief said, Lord, can I tell you something? The thief represents you and me. Lord, we have nothing to give. But will you remember us when you come into your kingdom? The thief offered himself. The shepherds offered themselves. The magi offered themselves. And you know what Jesus did? He gave the gift right back. Romans 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. We deserved death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. You see, in the beginning, as the worship team comes, Mary and Joseph didn't fully understand who it was they seek. But as life went on, they began to seek with understanding of who he was. God gave them understanding. You see, Jesus came not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. All the picture that was displayed throughout the four weeks of these Christmas readings was the the picture that man could not fully understand why did God choose this way to do this. God could have done it any way. He could have just said, beam me up, Scotty. But he chose to send his son wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And he sent the message throughout the entire world. I said he was coming. He's here. Are you looking for him? Are you looking 
for churchianity? Or are you looking for Christianity? Are you looking for religion? You're looking for a relationship. Oh, there's such a huge chasm between the two. Not a conquering king. Though the king conquered at the end. A suffering servant. Though he no longer suffers. A reigning majesty to confuse the mysteries, to give us victory over suffering, knowing that our King conquered the world of sin. We have a choice, and that's to be servants of sin or children of the King. living under the bondage of sin are ruling and reigning over sin with Christ in our life. Today, all he says you do is like the Magi. All he says to do is like the shepherds. All he says to do is like the thief. Just give yourself to him. He will take all the sins of your world and he'll give you life and that everlasting can you say amen Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.